about this group a few years ago, and I've been wearing this uh, bracelet here on my hand for about three years now and stuff. I imagine it smells, but anyway. Uh, I am second. So today, we're going to start that series entitled I am second. We're going to start with a video. Now, the video is about eight minutes long. But I think you're really going to enjoy this video. It's from Lindsay Steiner. She is the owner and president and, the, I guess, heir of the In-N-Out Burgers. And she's going to talk about her life. She's going to talk about how her father affected her life and different things and the, the path that she went down. And so, next eight minutes, I just sit back and let's enjoy her story about being second. Our couple of years ago, we did this. So, she was also a um, well, I'm the president at In-N-Out Burger, which was a little mom-and-pop burger stand that started in 1948 and um, grew to be pretty big. <laughs> it's been a part of my life since I was born, I guess, being close with different people that work there. And, you know, it really got introduced into my life when my dad died. Both my parents were very loving. I remember being pretty cheerful. Little girl was a little bit spoiled because my siblings were 12 and 16 years older than me. My dad was uh, really funny. He was a little bit eccentric. Loved to make people laugh, loved to laugh himself. He used to explain songs to me. We had this connection with, with music, with love music. He spoke to me like I was an adult when I was four years old. Somehow he had wisdom and discernment that, you know, I was going to be exposed to so many different things in life and I was going to need that straightforwardness and that honesty. Probably around age five or six. I noticed uh, we were going to visit my dad in the hospital, and I thought it was just the hospital he was staying at, but it turned out to be a rehab. My mom explained it just that he was sick. It wasn't until I was older that I realized he had a drug addiction from different surgeries he had and a lot of pain in his past. Pain that he didn't know what to do with. It was really hard for me to see him fail and to be weak because I knew how bad he wanted to be a good husband and a good father. It's a matter of time before the drugs and uh, another woman, and, and that was pretty much it. I got divorced when I was 12, and that's when I really started longing for that attention and that love because my dad was the greatest source of that. One day I was on my way to school and he called in the morning and I talked to him and I was rushing him off the phone because I had to go to school. And that was the last time I talked to him. My world shattered. After my dad died, there was no way I was gonna be alone. He's gone, so I had even greater reason to fill the void. I got married when I was 18. I graduated a couple months before that. You know, it, it wasn't right. I knew that that small still voice had told me, don't do this, 
twice with the divorce and jumped right into uh, the arms of someone else. At that point, I pretty much realized I'm the outcast in the family. You know, I'm divorced and I figured, you know, I might as well just, <laughs> might as well just embrace this. Started smoking pot, drinking, which were things that I really had wanted to stay away from after watching my dad. I realized that I'm gonna follow the footsteps of my father and that I'm gonna meet an early death if I do not get right with God and, and follow him because the enemy just wanted to wipe me out. I could let go of the pot and the alcohol, but letting go of the guy was something different because being alone, I just, I didn't, I didn't want to be alone. I just was praying and asking for God to give me the strength to do what was right. I knew that I couldn't go back home that night and sleep with my boyfriend. I had to tell him, hey, this isn't happening. You know, if you're going to be doing any of those things, don't do them around me. He ended up uh, getting saved. So then I'm like, okay, now I can get married. It was the fast track and got married in November. Was it really the right thing? I can't say no because I have two precious children from that marriage. But um, six years later, another divorce, um, another affair. I couldn't feel like a bigger failure at that point. I just couldn't recover who I was. So alone. Didn't last long. I ended up in another relationship. We ended up having a child together. We got married. And I married him because I didn't want to be alone. And I felt like, okay, this will be right. He married me because of money. I was cheated on off and on for three and a half years. The first time I found out he cheated on me, I'm like, well, you know, I deserve it. <laughs> paying for it. She got me while I was pregnant, disrespected, never had I been talked to the way he talked to me, treated like trash. It was the worst time of my life. You can see where someone that just wants that love and appreciation was getting further and further away from, from what she wanted starting to believe the lies that I deserve that and that God's punishing me. The things that can be said can cut you very, very deeply and can change who you believe you think you are. I just continued to put up with it. No way could I get divorced again. I mean, how old am I? And I've been divorced a handful of times, really. Person. It was my dad first. 
then it was the next time, the next day. I was never willing to just let go to see that God had something better. I was forced to at this time because this was something I couldn't change. This was someone that was throwing me to the curb. I was divorced again. And uh, I knew that it was time to take time away. That time alone was some of my greatest memories of God. It was an alone that was okay because I wasn't completely alone. I had the Jesus that walked on water, healed the sick. I had that Jesus filling that void, touching my heart, pouring into who I'm called to be and who he sees me as rather than who I believed I was because of the things I'd done. I really valued the love and good times I had with my dad. But even that, I can't compare completely to the love that God has for me. It's like, you know, you're, you're a little kid riding your bike for the first time, your dad's proud and he's cheering you on, and it's like he helped me learn how to ride that bike, and, and God got me back up after all of these failures, and he can lift me up and see me go forward, and I know that he can be glorified. And riding a bike in a proud dad versus of the universe being able to use you is like This is not a story how addictions can be overcome. 
Not all, but so many addictions come out of self-medication because of pain. And some of them, like she talked about, her dad got started because of surgery. And that, that's a story that many people have. But so many people are doing these the, the drugs and the issues because there's a pain in their life they cannot deal with and they don't know what to do. When I say to you, if you're here today and you're struggling with an addiction, get some help. Be humble enough to say, I can't handle this on my own. But this is not a story about addiction. This is not a story about how marriage should be sacred. It should be sacred. You need to commit to your marriage. You need to make a decision till death do us part. And I would just say this to you, that God can perform miracles even in a marriage. Amen? But this is not a story about how marriage is supposed to be sacred. This and all these things are true, by the way. All these things are true. But this is a story of healing. Lindsay had to be healed from the damage that was done by her father. Lindsay had to be healed by the damage that was done, well, done by herself. And the healing that had to take place was that Lindsay's soul had to be healed. Listen, the healing is an issue of salvation. Healing is an issue of salvation. It's, it's that when we come to the cross and accept what Jesus did for us, he heals our soul. He changes our eternal destination. It's an amazing miracle that takes place. Once we were lost, now we are found. Once we were an enemy of God, now we're in the family of God. Once I was a stranger to God, and now I'm a child of God. That healing is a salvation issue, but you know, that healing is also an issue of life. The greatest miracle you will ever see, listen, the greatest miracle you will ever see is when God forgives and heals a person at salvation. The second is the ability to love other people. You see, our second thought today is this. God heals those who are second. God heals those who are saved. When you stop being first, when you stop being the one who gets to make decisions and call the shots in your life, that is when God begins to heal people. When you become second to God's will, to what God wants, to how God leads, that is when God starts to heal people. Now remember something. You cannot force God to work. God is what we theologically call sovereign. God is sovereign, meaning God can do whatever he wants on this planet. There are some limitations that God puts on himself. Thank God that God put the limitation in his word that said he would never stop loving me. Amen. Amen. He also put limitations that said, I will never be with, removed from God. I can never be forsaken. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. There are limitations that God has put on his word. But God can do whatever he wants. And the problem when I speak of healing, the problem when I speak of healing, people think of the physical first. They focus on this body that they have. They think when I say healing, it's that, well, God is going to heal my leg. Really? If your focus of healing is on simply the physical, I say this politely, but I say this to instruct you, you are very shallow. You are missing the great point. The physical healing that God may bring because he's sovereign, he may do what he wants, you are missing the healing that God is trying to bring. The physical body is nothing to God. 
And Jesus himself would say, don't fear the one who can just kill you. Fear the one who can kill your soul in hell. The physical body is not the issue of healing that God wants. That is very shallow. The physical healing that God is talking about is the physical healing of the soul. It's spiritual healing. It's able to love somebody. Back up again. I'm not there yet. You're going too fast. It's able to love someone. Back up one more. Argument. Able to love someone where before you were treated like garbage. Where you felt that you had nothing to offer anyone. chapter 5, verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which would come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Jesus is in this house teaching. There's a lot of people in this house and you know the percentages are very high but the majority of the people in this house don't like him. And they don't want to hear what he's going to say. I, I can relate. Um, something next happens. and For Jesus, this would be a crazy event for me, but for Jesus, this is probably a daily event that takes place in these things. The crowd is so massed, that, but even in this crowd of massive people who are anti-Jesus, who hate Jesus, who don't want, God still works. Look at this phrase here in verse 17. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Let me stop for a second. I'm going to bash so many of the faith healers. I'm going to, I'm going to bash all of them here today. But so many of the faith healers, how they do it, it's, it's an emotional thing, and we do six hours of singing, and we do all these things, and we get you going, and then God heals these vague things that you were really not sure if he healed or not, and you were just going on your word that he healed, and we're not. That is not how Jesus does it. Jesus is not filled in a group of people that are singing, praise be to God, and singing victory in Jesus. He's not. He's filled, in, he's in a room filled of people who want him to fail, and yet his power is still there. Verse 18. And behold, men brought in bed a man which was taken with a palsy. A palsy is another way of saying paralyzed. Um, paralyzed people and people with disabilities at this time were not like lepers. If you had leprosy, you had to go live outside of town. You weren't allowed to have any physical contact. Paralyzed people and disabled people were not like the lepers, but they did have one thing in common with the lepers. Is that everybody sort of viewed you're getting what you deserve. You're sick because God is punishing you. you. Don't believe me? Put John 9, 1 by that verse 18 as a cross-reference. In John 9, 1 through 3, Jesus comes across to his disciples, and here's a man who's, uh, who's basically paralyzed and can't walk and everything. And his disciples don't say, Lord, how can we help this man? In John 9, 1 through 3, his disciples say, Lord, who sinned, this man or his parents? That was the mentality of the, not the Pharisees, but that was the mentality of the disciples. And Jesus says, no, no, none of them did. They, he's like this for a reason, for me to be glorified. I'm about to heal him. You know, the Word of Faith group, the Benny Hens, the Kenneth Copelands, would agree with the Pharisees. They would agree with the disciples. 
Because they will tell you, God never intends for you to be sick. God never intends for you to be hurt. God never intends for you to go through a difficult time. And yet Jesus is just the exact opposite of John 9-1. So we go back here to Mark chapter 5. This man's friends came from inside. Maybe they didn't have a ticket. Maybe they filled up real fast, right? All the people with coffee got there early and stuff, right? Because coffee people are awesome. Hey, all right. The man's friends came inside, so one of them has an idea here in verse 18. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him, meaning Jesus. And when they could not find, uh, find by what they might bring him in, they couldn't find a window, they couldn't get in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop, they went on the roof, they were one-story houses, what this is, and let him down through the tiling with his couch, a cot, into the midst before Jesus. They tear open the roof, and with ropes, they just start lying him down with it, like, okay, if we can't get through the windows, if we can't get through the doors, if we can't get through the walls, we're bringing our friend in through the roof. And when, now look at verse 20. And when Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said unto them, man, thy sins are forgiven. Well, wait a second. Wait. Your faith from what the TV preachers tell me. Your faith is supposed to heal you physically. The reason you're physically disabled, the reason you're having physical problems is because you don't have enough faith. And if you had enough faith, God would heal you. But Jesus doesn't say, thy faith has made you healed physically, does he? He does say your faith is healing you, but what does he say? Let me re-say that again to you. He said, man, thy sins are forgiven me. I want you to notice something. Throw this up here about healing. Jesus saw their faith for spiritual healing. Their faith is not healing this man physically. That's not what he saw. They did not get healed physically because of their faith. See, our eyes, if we saw this man being carried on a cot, right, and having his friends have to carry him and lower him down, our eyes would say the number one thing this man needs is his body healed. I mean, that, and that's not a far assumption. I mean, I probably would make that same assumption. You see somebody in a wheelchair. You see somebody on a ventilator. You see somebody who can't walk and they're paralyzed or anything. You would say, and it's not a far assumption, that with our eyes, the number one thing that needs to happen is this person needs to be healed. I mean, you see a bald guy and you think the number one thing he needs there you go. Thank you. <clears throat> but we see and we think physical, don't we? Jesus saw it and said the number one thing this man needs is spiritual healing. The number one thing he needs is to be forgiven. Listen, the number one thing you need in this room, you may think it's money, you may think it's financial relationship, you may think there is a healing, financial, physical, anything. the number one thing you need today is to know that Jesus died on the cross for you. He rose again on the third day. And the only way you're going to heaven is by having him forgive you of your sins and what he did on the cross be a payment for your sins. That's the number one thing you need. Let me say this next. Jesus saw their soul as a priority for you. Look, the number one thing is salvation. If you've experienced that number one thing, you accept in Christ and you forgive. Say amen. Amen. The number two thing. Okay, now you're going to get into the money and the healing. Now, no, no, no. The number two thing you need 
is to start to surrender to him. Is that Jesus needs to stop being just a ticket to heaven, and then I'm going to conduct my life, my business, my morals, my physical, my alcohol, everything. I'm going to conduct all of this how I want it to be done, God. The number two thing you need to do is you need to start surrendering to the God who healed you. And I say this to you politely, I would question if you've had this experience, if you haven't had that experience also. But I said a prayer, yeah, but it's with your heart, salvation is made. It's not magic words, but I was baptized. That's awesome. Everybody should get baptized after you're saved, but you're not going to heaven because you're baptized. I take the preacher to lunch. That is a huge requirement. <laughs> but nothing you can do can get you to this point without humbly bending your heart and saying, I am a sinner separated from God. You died on the cross for me. I just accept you as my Savior. Please forgive me, Jesus. So how do I know I did that? Because you'll eventually get to number two. It may take you a while. You may wander for a while as a teenager. You eventually get to number two where he is everything to you. See, not everyone likes this. Look at verse 21. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone, they asked. In verse 22. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, you need to underline that. That is really scary. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered unto them, what reason ye do in your hearts? Jesus' deity is on display here. Uh, first of all, they say, who has the ability to forgive sins? Only God can do that. And Jesus goes, yeah. That's pretty much what it is. The Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus. Why? Because he constantly claimed to be God. Jesus' deity is on display here because he has the ability to know their thoughts. Very scary. You know, Satan can't read your thoughts. A demon can't read your thoughts. An angel can't read your thoughts. Your wife is pretty close, right? But no one can read your thoughts. The only one who knows what's going on inside here is God. Jesus' deity is on display because he can forgive sins and he knows what you're thinking. And here's Jesus' response in verse 23. Whether it's easier to say that sins be forgiven or to say rise up and walk, but that he may know that the, the Son of Man, let's stop for a second there. The Son of Man is a title Jesus loves giving himself. Some people will give Jesus the title Son of God. It's true. But the title Son of Man is the reason he loved it. Because if you go to Daniel 7.13, you find out that if you were a Jewish Old Testament believer, Daniel 7.13 talks about the Son of Man, the Messiah coming to take care of them and save them. So when Jesus uses the title Son of Man, most of us, it goes right over our head. But for his Jewish audience, when they said son of man, right? If this, if this was uh, Cleveland, a God-forsaken city, if this was Cleveland and I said Mr. Tiger, they would go, who is that? But since this is a place where Al Kaline played and graced us with his presence, he was really good. And I say Mr. Tiger, anyone who is right with God knows that I'm talking about Al Kaline, right? In this group where Jesus is talking, when he says son of man, us, we, we, I, I don't know what he means, but his Jewish audience immediately would go to Daniel 7.13 and know that Son of Man is a title for the Messiah. So he's saying, do you not know that the Messiah, the Son of Man, he says this again in verse 24, have power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, notice he healed him, what did he heal first? Spiritually. Spiritually. And why does he heal him Physically. 
It doesn't, it doesn't indicate, it seems to me, that Jesus never had an indication that he was going to heal him physically. He only heals him physically after the Pharisees push him. Let me just say this. This isn't in your notes, but you need to understand this. Anytime God, through his sovereignty, decides to heal you physically is so that he will get all the glory and praise. The reason so many people don't get healed physically, one, God is sovereign, can do what he wants. But the reason is because if God healed you, it wouldn't be him getting the praise, it would be you getting the praise. And quite frankly, many of us, if God healed you financially, if God healed you in so many other areas, this would be your last Sunday. The only thing that keeps you near Jesus is what Paul had, is a thorn in the flesh that keeps driving you further and further to God. Don't believe me? I'll be honest with you. This Thursday, some of you know, some of you don't, it's not a huge deal, but this Thursday, I got to have a four-inch little, little pad. Got a uh, mole that went funny on me, and then they took it off and said it was, uh, what's the bad thing? Melanoma. yes. They called me, I'm putting toilet paper in the closet there, because I was annoyed that somebody didn't do it. I'm putting that on, on one knee, my phone rings, it's not somebody that fooled me. Hello, Mr. Sheridan. I'm with such and such. I already, you know, I'm here to inform you that you have cancer. See, in my mind, I thought if I ever got that news, I wouldn't be stacked with toilet paper. <laughs> it's just horrible. I would figure it'd be some big doctor's office where they said, if you were out cancer, I'm not stacking toilet paper, but they stood up. I can tell you this, you know, it's no big deal. They're going to do a little four-inch cup. They just cut out the rest of it. The doctor's like, you have like a huge percentage that's nothing, and then another huge percentage that that's nothing and stuff. And he said, you have good, like, winning lottery odds that you're, you know, some, that something bad happens. Do you understand? I'm good. I'll be here next week. I'll be sore, but I'll be here next week. So I can tell you this, that when that doctor called me, my first reaction was, I need to talk to God. This was a little scary. And you know that week, those two or three weeks before I went down to U of M and had the, you know, I think I probably prayed more that week. Oh no, there was one other time I prayed that long in a week, is when a doctor came out where it was supposed to be a routine thing and said, sir, we'll let you know that your wife has to have open heart surgery and we're going to be bypassing one of her veins if we don't do this, she'll be dead. I prayed a lot that week. Maybe it could be that if God healed us of all these issues, right? Maybe that's the last time we ever talk to God. <sighs> you don't win a lot of friends with preaching like this, thank you. <laughs> Back here. I say to you, arise and take up that couch and go into the house. And look what he happened. They had, at verse 25, they had a six hour singing service, right? And people were jumping up and down and everything. And a big, huge choir was singing, and people were feeling emotional. No, look what happened. And immediately, I've had people tell me, I had a gift of healing. All right, let's see. Well, no, it has to be the right setting, the right atmosphere. Well, can it be people who hate you? No. Can it just be instantaneous? No. Then you don't heal the way Jesus does. And by the way, I've told this to people that said, I have a gift of healing. Well, then you are a very sorry, horrible person if you don't go down to St. Joe's right now and empty out the hospital. If you have the ability to just boom, 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 I would be down there at St. Joe's saying, hey, guess what? You're going to lose a lot of money today, guys, but here we go. And I'm going room to room healing people. You are a borderline criminal person if you don't do that if you have to get the healing. That's pretty good, man. <laughs> I'm proud of myself. Thank you. <laughs> Verse 25. And immediately he arose up with them and took upon where he laid his cot and departed to his own house. 
Why does God heal anyone? Here it is, verse 25. What did they do? Glorifying God. And they were amazed. And they, again, glorified God. Say it with me. Glorified God. Let's pretend we're a cult. Okay, say it again. Glorified God. There you go. Some of you make great cult members. But anyway. <laughs> and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things. That's, that's not a TV show on Netflix, but remarkable. We have seen remarkable things today. I want to tell you the truth about healing. Two things. Two things I just want you to walk away today about. The truth about healing. Number one, healing requires help. Help from God to do it, of course. But I can't fully balance this. So if you're looking for an answer, I'm not your guy. In fact, if anybody can give you this answer, they're probably lying or making stuff up because nobody fully has this concept. It's the concept of balancing the sovereign God, right, who can do whatever he wants, as long as it doesn't violate his word or his promises or his character. He can do whatever he wants with the part of, you know, free will and God choosing to use us. I don't really get that, that God can do everything, but yet he just sort of chooses to have help. Um, Jesus used these friends, right? I don't know what the story would be because we don't know it, but would this man have been healed without the help of his friends? Yeah, probably not. God is sovereign. He could have, Jesus could have just said in his passages, he does this. A guy comes and says, heals my, heals my daughter. And says, Don't worry, he's already, she's already healed. Go home and find her. Jesus could have done that. He could have just come through and just, boom, here's a generic healing for everybody in the state. Ooh, everybody's now healed. He could have done that. But for some unknown reason, God chose to include us for ministry. He chooses to use us. God wants you to help. He wants you to help to minister to people. That is why you have the Holy Spirit. To enable you to do, to love people, to teach, to do things, to minister. You say, I'm a closed person. I'm kind of guarded. I don't like opening myself up. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you the ability to take cookies across the street to a family who's struggling. Or maybe they lost their mom and you go over and just say, just, why do Americans do that? I don't know if we're the only country that thinks death equals food, right? But we do. But that allows you to do this. I could not actually do that. If you're here today and you tell me, I can't do what you're asking me to do, Pastor. I can't do what God is asking me to do. No, you've been given the Holy Spirit to minister to people, to do amazing things you never thought you could do. Amen. You know God needs you to help in evangelism. It is our responsibility to take the good news that Jesus saves to the world, to take to your neighbor, to take it to your son. Clearly here, Jesus is placing more emphasis on salvation than physical healing. Physical healing is just sort of an afterthought that he does. This chapter is all about the cross. It's all about sin. And it's all about how God can heal the soul. If you're looking for God to heal the body, he may not choose to do that. But God always heals the soul of the person who is saved. Number two, the truth about healing. Healing requires sacrifice. Healing requires. Now, just so that we're clear, I just want to wrap this up. The sacrifice I'm talking about, the sacrifice of the cross heals me. Now, one of the most misused verses of the Bible, and I'd love to spend more time on it, is Isaiah 53, 5. 
God forbid these people who are misusing Isaiah 53 lie. Because it talks about that he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of the peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And so many people will take that verse completely out of context and say, look, see, God wants me to be healed. God expects me, and I'm physically healed because of the cross. But if you take that entire chapter, take the entire chapter of Isaiah 53, take the entire verse, he's talking about nothing more than sin. He's talking about being free from it. He's talking about being forgiven. The entire chapter is about spiritual healing, and some people would like to take out of context this one strike and say, by his stripes, the, the lashes that were upon him that the Roman soldiers did, that way I am healed, and that is why God, I demand that you make me six foot five. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome if I could do some sort of David Blaine thing and go up at that one? Some of you would be like, whoa! <laughs> and all I need would be a white suit to just take up an offering. Like, hey. <laughs> the entire chapter, the entire verse, the entire crux of the Bible is about healing. It's about healing your soul. You need to be healed. You need to be forgiven of your sin and become a child of God today. Amen? Amen. But you know what? There's some of you that just like just like the young lady in the video. I mean, as a kid, your dad really let you down. You need to be healed by that. You see, you think that God wants to heal your arm. No. God wants to heal you so that you can love someone. We have get so shallow and we get so selfish and we think it's all about this. For God, it's all about this. You know, there's this another sacrifice in the story that's often missed. The dude who owned the house. <laughs> It's not fun having a hole in your roof, right? <laughs> he is there. It never says he stopped them. Now, if you come to my house and start tearing off the roof, that's why God created guns. <laughs> but it never says, and maybe he's just too intimidated. Maybe he wasn't believing. That's why Jesus is in there. He could have been. I, I would love it if it was one of the Pharisees who brought Jesus there just to trip him and everything. Now they have. Now Jesus goes. Well, have a good day, and leaves him with like a trash house of holes. That would be awesome. I don't think that's how Jesus works. It's just my snotty little opinion. But anyway, the dude in the house never says anything, does he? There's a sacrifice that someone has to make. Maybe you're going to have to sacrifice your time to be involved in ministry. Maybe you're going to have to sacrifice your energy, your love. But God heals. Always through sacrifice. There's a lady, if you grew up in church, you know her, especially in the 70s. So this, this is Joni Erickson Tara. Now, if you grew up in church and you're like my age, you know who she is. If you don't, uh, back in like the, the 70s or late 70s or so, you remember when people wore bell bottoms and stuff. But anyway, uh, she was a teenager, and then they, they, uh, a bunch of her friends went out to a lake, and the lake was showered, and they thought, and she like jumps off into it, and she lands head first. She's a believer in Jesus when this happens, by the way. And she lands head first on like, I think it was like a stump that was below the water surface. And she becomes a quadriplegic. 
I mean, she, she's now able through therapy and everything, she can kind of move her arms, but she's not making fists at all. She has straps on there. Uh, she paints, it's amazing. She just paints with her a, a, a brush in her mouth and she paints with it. She does these beautiful paintings. She's a great speaker. She does a lot of great things. And she talks before, and if you were in our Wednesday night class, we had a video of her and she went to like this healing service because when she first got uh, paralyzed, she thought, well, Jesus will heal me maybe if I show up. And she was like, you know, they, they took all the real difficult cases and just kind of went, oh, over here, go over here, and ushered them eventually out the door and everybody with like shin splints got up on stage and got healed and stuff. But she's kind of come to accept that this is who she is. This is how God is going to leave her. In fact, in so many of her writings, she talks about if it had not been for this chair, in fact, I have this great quote from her. I love this. So just, just listen to me as I, as I say this. I know that it's not biblically correct, but if I were able, I would have my wheelchair up in heaven right next to me when God gives me my brand new glorified body. And I will then turn to Jesus and say, Lord, do you see that wheelchair right there? Well, you were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that wheelchair has been a lot of trouble for me. But Jesus, but Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. So thank you for what you did in my life. And thank you for that wheelchair. And now, Lord, she says, as I always say jokingly, Take that wheelchair and send it to hell. <laughs> she has a great, perfect perspective. That if God chooses to, yeah, he could step in and heal physically. But it was even in through this wheelchair, it was even in through this physical difficulties, that she leaned hard on Jesus. Now let me just say this to you, those of you struggling with something physical, I, I hope this helps, maybe it doesn't. Here's this something. Eventually, every child of God is healed. Eventually. It may not be the way we want it, it may not be the way we would like God and when we would like it, but eventually every child of God is healed. But if you're here today, the healing that God wants to do wants to heal your soul. He wants to heal your spirit. He wants to heal you from the damage that somebody else did to you. He wants to heal you from addictions that are just destroying your life because you're medicating over some deep, dark pain. He wants to heal you. So this is what we're going to do. If somebody takes this out of context, shame on them, because you can easily take this out of context online, right? We are going to have a healing service. Not a fraudulent, self-grandized, personal healing service. We're going to have a true Jesus healing. That first healing is most important. You know Christ as your personal Savior. I'd like to I'll be down here. I'd like to show you from the authority of God's word how you can be healed of your soul. How you can be forgiven. That second healing, you're a believer. Maybe it's time to surrender and become a believer who is second to Jesus, who is second to God's will. And if you're here today, and you're like, some of the things I've talked about have touched a raw little nerve, especially I talked about fathers or family and things. I would like you, you, you can stay in your chair if that makes you feel more comfortable, you can stay there. I'd like you to come forward. We're going to turn our steps into an altar. No one will bother you at the steps. 
And I would be coming praying and just a simple prayer, God, this was messed up in my life. This wasn't right what this person did. This wasn't right how this played out. This wasn't right. I've been carrying bitterness. I've been carrying just anger about it. I've been carrying a whole bunch of emotions. Would you, Lord, give me the faith, give me the ability to be healed from the damage that was done to me? And sometimes God heals immediately. Instantaneously, people get up and they pray. It's changed. I know it changed. Sometimes God takes a time and a process. But God is in control. And I am second to what he wants. You bow your head and close your eyes with me. The band's going to come up and play. And as they do, they put you down in the front. Have you been healed spiritually? Do you know Christ as your personal Savior? After that, is he number one? Are you second to him? Or do you get to make the shots, the decisions? And I don't care where you were last night. You're here today. Whatever you've done in your past is in the past. You tuck it to Jesus who asked for forgiveness and you start over. Today, are you second to what God wants? And lastly, if I've touched a nerve, I apologize. I don't to. But if you need to be healed, just like the lady in the video, healed from something that somebody did or an issue you've been struggling with, no one will bother you. No one will ask you what your problem is. Please, be totally confident. Where you're at now, you can pray. Or while the band plays, why don't you come forward and just use these steps as an altar. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that you've healed. Lord, not shallow healings like so many people think it is. Lord, you're not obsessed with this body and physical wealth. That is not your goal. Lord, I thank you. You healed me when I was a young boy and asked you to come in my heart. You saved me. You forgave me. Well, Lord, thank you for healing me at different times in my life when I carried struggle and anger and, and pain with me. And Lord, thank you for stepping in and healing my issues. And Lord, some things I'm still dealing with in the process. And you've been faithful as I walk this journey with you. Thank you, Lord.